Not too long ago, I was involved in a conversation where a group of us were trying to help out a young person. Now, to give you a little bit of background, about eight months or so ago, this individual was involved in a car accident, a fairly severe one, one that messed with her physically and also messed with her cognitive abilities. And over the course of the last several months, she has been struggling and struggling hard to get back to 100%. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem uh, from what we know thus far that she may ever get there. But she's young and ambitious and, and hardworking. And that's the other quality that, I, that you need to know about her. This is probably one of the most driven people that I know. Even at a young age, she has this amazing ability to keep these metaphorical plates up in the air and by hook or by crook to keep them going without any of them ever falling down to the ground and crashing. And her ambitions, ambitions was, is one of the reasons why she is in my sphere is because sometimes I mentor uh, folks like this. Uh, I, I like to give people you know, advice about you know, what life is going to come their way and what uh, uh, foibles and pits and ch chasms that they might uh, encounter and how to overcome them. The challenge, though, that she has is that this same ambition it actually works against her in the road to recovery because the body and the mind always need time to heal. And the more you tax them, the, more, the longer you prevent that. And so to have a person who is extremely driven to slow down is a very hard thing to do because their mind and their body they just does, isn't wired that way. So in the course of this conversation, I for a second thought of a metaphor that might help her out and I you know paused everybody's talk and I said listen you've been driving a stick for a long time that was a gift that was given to her family but to, to her I said now think back uh, as far as driving when you're going up a hill and you have your, and you are in fourth gear do you stay in fourth gear as you continue to go up or what do you have to do to re achieve your uh, destination at the very top? She thought about it for half a second. And she says, well, you have to downshift. you got to get down to third gear. You might have to go down as, four, uh, as low as second gear. Uh, and if you're going up Cienega here in Southern California, up to Santa Monica or Sunset, you may have to go to first gear. It's that steep of a hill. Look it up. Anyways, she said, so I told her exactly. Sometimes to get to the hardest in the highest peak, you actually have to go down a couple of notches to be able to have the power in your car, within yourself, to get there. Slowing down helps you. It, you will reach your destination a heck of a lot easier if you do. Well, that is where you are in life. You have a tough hill to climb to get to 100%, and you think that you can still continue to go at the pace that you're, that you used, that, that you're used to, and that will not get it done. She started to think about that for a moment, and another man in, in the room broke into, you know, broke into that moment as she, as she was thinking about, you know, that concept, and said, "Well, think about it this way: you're in a pool and you're threading water, and all of a sudden you ask for somebody to give you a rock on your on one hand, and that makes it more difficult for you to keep, to to stay afloat. But maybe you can manage. But then all of a sudden you ask for a second one." And then all of a sudden you're uh, drowning because you can't keep the, you can keep them up. Wouldn't it be smarter for not to ask rocks so that you can keep your head above water and live? And she started thinking about that. And at that point, I had a second there where 
I was kind of pissed because I thought I had made a fairly good point and that she was starting to think about it. And then this person thought that they had a better way to um, describe a solution and they chimed in with hers. And man to man, that is upsetting because I, I don't like that uh, and I think it's counterproductive. But then I thought of my sales training. And for, a, and for a long time, I've been telling sales folks, sometimes you just shut the fuck up. Because the more you talk after you made your pitch, the more you interrupt the person's ability to come to a decision. If you've already said your piece and you ask, what is our next step? Where are we going to go from here? Are you willing to sign the contract? And then every five or so seconds, you break the, the silence and, and allow that person to reset and rethink everything that, they, that they're going through, it works against you. So shut the fuck up. Let that individual think about what you said. And if you let silence go on long enough, it creates this tension that works on your benefit more often than not. And the person is more likely to acquiesce to your request or to your ask. And so even though this person upset me, this man upset me by chiming in, I knew that at that point it was better for her sake for me to be quiet and not try to mansplain over him or try, try to remake my point. And that's the whole point of this conversation that I'm having with you today is this concept of mansplaining. And oftentimes when I see it online, it has to do, uh, it rightfully so, this bad habit that men do uh, have of uh, when a woman says something uh, or tries to delineate something, for men to try to feed it right back to them or try to tell them where they were right, wrong, uh, or, or, or make adjacent points to it because they like the sound of their own voice. And it happens. I've seen it occur. And I know that I have been um, at fault for doing it. One of the places where it creeps up a lot is parenting, and we'll discuss that here in a second. But it was a moment just recently where some another man mansplained right over me, and I will tell you that I didn't like it. And but more than anything, is the fact that men do it to each other too. That we uh, that, that is not a phenomenon that just occurs with women. Is that men have the have this ability when they they, they want to puff up their chest and and be the alpha person in the group to try to man, mansplain things to one another and that's a problem so let's go back to the, the times where I have been that guy and I think it comes from a place of um, well a pride plays into it uh, but also insecurity I love the sound of my own voice there's a reason why I have a podcast because I feel like there's a lot that I have to say uh, in during the course of my work in sales uh, and being very good at sales, um, I have always enjoyed being in the room with people and giving the pitch, and, and, and you know talking to the, to the points at hand, hitting the marks, uh, addressing you know people's concerns, listening to, listening to what they have to say, and then crafting the way that I go to a you know go to a sales presentation and hitting those things that I know that they want to hear because they've told me one of the keys about sales is that you got to do a lot more listening than you do talking but when you do have those moments of speaking that you're answering and addressing the questions the concerns the uh, 
that they have given you all along. People will tell you what they want in order for you to be able to sell for them. You just got to be able to listen. And I have always been very good at that. But in the very beginning, when, when I was in, in sales, like I said, I used to interrupt people or I used to break, uh, you know, and because I wasn't comfortable with tension, I would chime in to try to explain or re-explain a point that I have already given in, in times before. And that's a problem. And it wasn't until I took some courses in sales that I learned that you didn't need to do that. But I think also it was this um, anxiety that I have that, people were not going to think that I was smart or that there was this, what do they call it, um, imposter syndrome, that I, I really didn't belong in the room. After all, I wasn't the most, I am not the most well-educated guy. Uh, second of all, I am Latino, and uh, for some reason, there's, there are in certain spheres this concept that we are may not be as educated uh, about things. Um, and I always had that chip on my shoulder, or at least I will say I used to have that chip on my shoulder where I didn't think that I was good enough. And in order for me to prove to others that I was, that meant that I have to be, I had to make the best points. I had to say them in the most erudite way possible and hit all the emotional marks so that they knew that I belonged there among them. And that often led to me um, tr trying to do what this man did to me in this meeting is the moment that somebody said something smart, I would have to top it and say something smarter. And it happened for many years until I learned that that was not the best way to go. And also that I created enemies, per se, in doing so. Because nobody likes to be talked over. Right? So, in parenting, uh, I also learned that I was doing it too. We're at a point now with our children where we are starting to have conversations about the social environments that they find themselves in. A case in point, there will be boyfriends and girlfriends in their near future. I mean, they're just getting to that age where attraction is a thing and this like or in, you know, liking, liking somebody is becoming more of, of a known um, challenge for them and how will they deal with that how will they cope with that what are they comfortable with moving forward on and what are they comfortable not moving forward on and, and what dialogue should they use and so oftentimes we have those um, moments where we're sitting down at the kitchen table and, and we're having these dialogues about your, your mom's opinion on things and dad's opinion of things and earlier on a few months ago my wife pointed out that sometimes Oftentimes, if she made a point, I would chime back in and try to remake the point with more flowery language. In that in doing so, um, I was really telling the kids that, listen, you don't have to, the, the, the ultimate person as far as an answer is concerned in this family, it's dad. And it invalidates the points that I'm trying to make. And I, and I really started to think about that because it's true. If... Um, if she's making a point and I chime in, what I'm telling the kids is, you know, your mom don't know, I do, so you got to listen to me. And oftentimes, it, it, again, being truthful, is that I, I, I'm the one that wanted to be the Danny Tanner uh, of the family. I'm the one in Full House that wants to sit down at the very end of the episode with the music in the background, giving that poignant point at the end. And having the kids give me a hug and, okay, Dad, we'll make the changes from now on. And, and, and I want to be a hero. 
But by me doing so, I was robbing my wife the opportunities for her being one. And when you are co-parenting, everybody needs to feel like they're part of the conversation. Everybody needs to be... Um, you know, involved in the child rearing, it can't be lopsided. It, it can't be one more than the other if you can help it. Again, every single household is different, but at least in ours, that's how we were trying to approach it. The other, th- but one of the things that I asked my wife then is, okay, I, I can, I hear that and I'm okay with it. At the same time, you, uh, since I'm the one that spends the preponderance of time with the children, I can't be always the heavy because uh, I'm the one that typically disciplines a lot because I'm the one that encounters the children the most. I don't want to be that person, meaning that do not undermine me when I'm trying to scold them if they've done something wrong or I'm trying to teach a lesson that that unfortunately we stepped into because they, they acted uh in contrast to what the expectations of the family is. I need your support in that, right? And on occasion, I don't want to be the one that has to complain to, or, or to scold or to discipline them. You have to do that. It can't be that dad's an ogre and mom's a hero. It has to be equitable. And so those are the kind of conversations that we had, and she, hear, and she said, okay, I hear you. I said, I hear you, and that's kind of how we go about that. And so yesterday we were having a dialogue with my son, about you know things that are coming up and some social uh, pitfalls that we know are coming because of rumblings around the school as far as who likes who and stuff like that, and typically I you know I would want to give my two cents, but my wife wanted to have control of this conversation, and I basically sat by the sidelines and on occasion um, agreed or maybe made a point. But I didn't step in and try to talk over her because it was her point to make, and this is a conversation that she'd been wanting to have. And it felt good, even though in, internally there were points that I wanted to make, but she had already made them, so there was no reason for me to do so. The, you know, I wanted to support her as best as I can. And so I think that's where, that's where I'm at as far as where, do you, where may you want to go with this, what advice I could give you. And in the, I guess it's this understanding of it's perfectly all right in a dialogue to tell the other person that, hey, you made a good point and leave it at that. That when you are, especially with kids or, or, or you're in the middle of a meeting and somebody says, hey, it gives a speech or a talk or a sales point or whatever you want to have it that you agree with, that you think they said well, I think you gain favor by just admitting, good point, you're right on the market or I agree, with, you're right on target or I agree with that. I think that you made a valid, you know, uh, argument there and I appreciate that. I think you gain favor with the individual making it, but also you gain credibility with all those around you. Whereas if you have to step in and you say, well, I'm going to piggyback on that point, and then you just reiterate it but with your own language, you get known for, you get known for being the mansplainer. And that's a problem. It does work against you. I have seen it work against you because I don't like people like that anymore. And I certainly don't want to be that individual. The other thing, though, is the concept of telling somebody that they've done that and that's a tricky place because it's like any kind of feedback that 
you know, where you have to hold somebody accountable. It's not an easy conversation to have, but I think that it's important to find good language to do so. I'm glad that my wife and I talked about the fact that I was doing that to her and that she found a way for me to understand that I was taking away some of her thunder by mansplaining things back to the kids. Um, had she not brought it up, who knows? I think I would continue to do it now because I'm not a very bright guy and I, and I tend to fall into bad habits and stick with them. But the fact that she said it made me cognizant of the fact that I do it. And so now I actively try to be a, a, a supportive parent and supportive partner and allow her to allow, yeah, and, and give her the, the birth that she needs to be able to communicate with the kids and, and you know, give and share the concepts that she already has in mind. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that um, I don't uh, that I don't have a voice either. There are times when I feel that I still there's a point that I haven't made, but I make it a priority to make sure that it is a separate point outside of what she's already been making. Because I again, the whole the concept is do not reiterate what somebody else is saying with different language. Actually, add to the conversation by adding an additional point that's that's valid, but it's but it's different than the other individuals, right? So. That's my. That's it. Uh, it's it's a very simple and quick one today for me, mostly because it's been uh, hurried last few days. I have been talking a lot on the Twitter machine about the fact that we are getting into that holiday season. Uh, I was very happy that uh, Charlie Brown is going to be back on the air and that we're going to be involved with the trifecta of uh, the Halloween. Uh, episode, the Thanksgiving episode, and of course, my favorite, the Christmas episode. That is something that I'm always very excited about. Um, and so I probably will do some commentary on that in upcoming shows. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, the interviews have been doing fantastic as of late, and I have some lined up some really interesting folks. Uh, it's always uh, a challenge to coordinate schedules, but I've had some really fantastic folks that I've talked to. By all means, go back and listen to those shows and give me your feedback. Uh, and as far as this, I want to know from you. Have, you. have you been mansplained to? If you're a man, do you like it? How do you cope with it? How do you deal with it? Or am I off mark? Do you think that um, you know that you should always say your piece no matter what, even if that means stepping on the toes of somebody? I think that I just poisoned the well a little bit in, in, in the way that I asked that question, but I still want to hear from you uh, no matter what. With that being said, peace. <laughs>